Section 18 of the World's Famous Orations, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 3. On his proposed removal from office by Robert Walpole, Earl of Orford. Footnote 1. Delivered in the House of Commons in February 1741. Abridged. Among other things, Walpole was accused of having made himself sole and prime minister, which at that time was regarded as an invasion of the rights of his colleagues. The motion for his removal was lost by a vote of 106 for 2-290 against it. End of footnote 1 Born in 1676, died in 1745, entered Parliament in 1701, became a Whig leader and Secretary of War in 1708, expelled from Parliament and sent to the Tower in 1712, returned to Parliament in 1713, Prime Minister in 1715, 1717, again Prime Minister from 1721 to 1742. It has been observed by several gentlemen in vindication of motion that if it should be carried, neither my life, liberty, nor state will be affected. But do the honorable gentlemen consider my character and reputation as of no moment? Is it no imputation to be arraigned before this house, in which I have sat forty years, and to have my name transmitted to posterity with disgrace and infamy? I will not conceal my sentiments that to be named in Parliament as a subject of inquiry is to me a matter of great concern but i have the satisfaction at the same time to reflect that the impression to be made depends upon the consistency of the charge and the motives of the prosecutors my great and principal crime is my long continuance in office or in other words the long exclusion of those who now complain against me this is the heinous offence which exceeds all others. I keep from them the possession of that power, those honors and those emoluments to which they so ardently and pertinaciously aspire. I will not attempt to deny the reasonableness and necessity of a party war, but in carrying on that war all principles and rules of justice should not be departed from the tories must confess that the most obnoxious persons have felt few instances of extrajudicial power wherever they have been arraigned a plain charge has been exhibited against them they have had an impartial trial and have been permitted to make their defence and will they who have experienced this fair and equitable mode of proceeding act in direct opposition to every principle of justice 
and established this fatal precedent of parliamentary inquisition whom would they conciliate by a conduct so contrary to principle and precedent gentlemen have talked a great deal of patriotism a venerable word when duly practised but i am sorry to say that of late it has been so much hackneyed about that it is in danger of falling into disgrace the very idea of true patriotism is lost and the term has been prostituted to the very worst of purposes a patriot sir why patriots spring up like mushrooms i could raise fifty of them within the four-and-twenty hours i have raised many of them in one night it is but refusing to gratify an unreasonable or an insolent demand and up starts a patriot i have never been afraid of making patriots but i disdain and despise all their efforts this pretended virtue proceeds from personal malice and disappointed ambition there is not a man among them whose particular aim i am not able to ascertain and from what motive they have entered into the lists of opposition i shall now consider the articles of accusation which they have brought against me and which they have not thought fit to reduce to specific charges and i shall consider these in the same order as that in which they were placed by the honourable member who made the motion first in regard to foreign affairs secondly to domestic affairs and thirdly to the conduct of the war as to foreign affairs i must take notice of the uncandid manner in which the gentlemen on the other side have managed the question by blending numerous treaties and complicated negotiations into one general mass to form a fair and candid judgment of the subject it becomes necessary not to consider the treaties merely insulated but to advert to the time in which they were made to the circumstances and situation of europe when they were made to the peculiar situation in which i stand and to the power which i possessed i am called repeatedly and insidiously prime and sole minister admitting however for the sake of argument that i am prime and sole minister in this country am i therefore prime and sole minister of all europe am i answerable for the conduct of other countries as well as for that of my own many words are not wanting to show that the particular view of each court occasioned the dangers which affected the public tranquillity yet the whole is charged to my account nor is this sufficient whatever was the conduct of england i am equally arraigned if we maintained ourselves in peace and took no share in foreign transactions we are reproached for tameness and pusillanimity if on the contrary we interfered in these disputes we are called don quixotes and dupes to all the world if we contract guarantees 
it was asked why is the nation wantonly burdened if guarantees were declined we were reproached with having no allies i now come sir to the second head the conduct of domestic affairs and here a most heinous charge is made that the nation has been burdened with unnecessary expenses for the sole purpose of preventing the discharge of our debts and the abolition of taxes but this attack is more to the dishonor of the whole cabinet council than to me if there is any ground for this imputation it is a charge upon king lords and commons as corrupted or imposed upon and they have no proof of these allegations but affect to substantiate them by common fame and public notoriety no expense has been incurred but what has been approved of and provided for by parliament the public treasure has been duly applied to the uses to which it was appropriated by parliament and regular accounts have been annually laid before parliament of every article of expense if by foreign accidents by the disputes of foreign states among themselves or by their designs against us the nation has often been put to an extraordinary expense that expense cannot be said to have been unnecessary because if by saving it we had exposed the balance of power to danger or ourselves to an attack it would have cost perhaps a hundred times that sum before we could recover from that danger or repel that attack in all such cases there will be a variety of opinions i happened to be one of those who thought all these expenses necessary and i had the good fortune to have the majority of both houses of parliament on my side but this it seems proceeded from bribery and corruption sir if any one instance had been mentioned if it had been shown that i ever offered a reward to any member of either house or ever threatened to deprive any member of his office or employment in order to influence his vote in parliament there might have been some ground for discharge but when it is so generally led i do not know what i can say to it unless it be to deny it as generally and as positively as it has been asserted and thank god till some proof be offered i have the laws of the land as well as the laws of charity in my favor some members of both houses have it is true been removed from their employments under the crown but were they ever told either by me or by any other of his majesty's servants that it was for opposing the measures of the administration in parliament they were removed because his majesty did not think fit to continue them longer in his service his majesty had a right so to do and i know 
no one that has a right to ask him what dost thou if his majesty had a mind that the favours of the crown should circulate would not this of itself be a good reason for removing any of his servants would not this reason be approved of by the whole nation except those who happens to be the present possessors i cannot therefore see how this can be imputed as a crime or how any of the king's ministers can be blamed for his doing what the public has no concern in for if the public be well and faithfully served it has no business to ask by whom i shall now advert to the third topic of accusation the conduct of the war footnote the war of the austrian succession frederick the great had invaded silesia the year before the date of this speech and was soon to win the important battle of Mollwitz. and of footnote i have already stated in what manner and under what circumstances hostilities commenced and as i am neither general nor admiral as i have nothing to do either with our navy or army i am sure that i am not answerable for the prosecution of it but were i to answer for everything no fault could i think be found with my conduct in the prosecution of the war it has from the beginning been carried on with as much vigor and as great care of our trade as was consistent with our safety at home and with the circumstances we were in at the beginning of the war if our attacks upon the enemy were too long delayed or if they have not been so vigorous or so frequent as they ought to have been those only are to blame who have for many years been haranguing against standing armies for without a sufficient number of regular troops in proportion to the numbers kept up by our neighbors i am sure we can neither defend ourselves nor offend our enemies on the supposed miscarriages of the war so unfairly stated and so unjustly imputed to me i could with great ease frame an incontrovertible defence but as i have trespassed so long on the time of the house i shall not weaken the effect of that forcible excupation so generously and disinterestedly advanced by the right honourable gentleman who so meritoriously presides at the admiralty if my whole administration is to be scrutinized in a reign why are the most favourable parts to be omitted if facts are to be accumulated on one side why not on the other and why may not i be permitted to speak in my own favour was i not called by the voice of the king and the nation to remedy the fatal effects of the south sea project footnote the south sea bubble had exploded in seventeen twenty ruining thousands of families walpole became a prime minister for the second time in seventeen twenty one
and to support declining credit was i not placed at the head of the treasury when the revenues were in the greatest confusion is credit revived and does it now flourish is it not at an incredible height and if so to whom must that circumstance be attributed has not tranquillity been preserved both at home and abroad notwithstanding a most unreasonable and violent opposition has the true interest of the nation been pursued or has trade flourished have gentlemen produced one instance of this exorbitant power of the influence which i extend to all parts of the nation of the tyranny with which i oppress those who oppose and the liberality with which i reward those who support me but having first invested me with a kind of mock dignity and styled me a prime minister they impute to me an unpardonable abuse of that chimerical authority which they only have created and conferred if they are really persuaded that the army is annually established by me that i have the sole disposal of posts and honors that i employ this power in the destruction of liberty and the diminution of commerce let me awaken them from their delusion let me expose to their view the real condition of the public will let me show them that the crown has made no encroachments that all supplies have been granted by parliament that all questions have been debated with the same freedom as before the fatal period in which my counsels are said to have gained the ascendancy an ascendancy from which they deduce the loss of trade the approach of slavery the preponderance of prerogative and the extension of influence but i am far from believing that they feel those apprehensions which they so earnestly labor to communicate to others and i have too high an opinion of their sagacity not to conclude that even in their own judgment they are complaining of grievances that they do not suffer and promoting rather their private interest than that of the public what is this unbounded sole power which is imputed to me how has it discovered itself or how has it been proved what have been the effects of the corruption ambition and avarice which i am so abundantly charged have i ever been suspected of being corrupted a strange phenomenon a corrupter himself not corrupt is ambition imputed to me why then do i still continue a commoner i who refused a white staff and a peerage i had indeed liked to have forgotten the little ornament about my shoulders the garter which gentlemen have so repeatedly mentioned in terms of sarcastic obloquy but surely though this may be regarded with envy or indignation in another place it cannot be supposed to raise any resentment in this house where many may be pleased 
to see those honors which their ancestors have worn restored again to the commons have i given any symptoms of an avaricious disposition have i obtained any grants from the crown since i have been placed at the head of the treasury has my conduct been different from that which others in the same station would have followed have i acted wrong in giving the place of auditor to my son and in providing for my own family i trust that their advancement will not be imputed to me as a crime unless it shall be proved that i placed them in offices of trust and responsibility for which they were unfit but while i unequivocally deny that i am sole and prime minister and that to my influence and direction all the measures of the government must be attributed yet i will not shrink from the responsibility which attaches to the post i have the honor to hold and should during the long period in which i have sat upon this bench any one step taken by government be proved to be either disgraceful or disadvantageous to the nation i am ready to hold myself accountable to conclude sir though i shall always be proud of the honor of any trust or confidence from his majesty yet i shall always be ready to remove from his counsels and presence when he thinks fit and therefore i should think myself very little concerned in the event of the present question if it were not for the encroachment that will thereby be made upon the prerogatives of the crown but i must think that an address to his majesty to remove one of his servants without so much as alleging any particular crime against him is one of the greatest encroachments that was ever made upon the prerogatives of the crown and therefore for the sake of my master without any regard for my own i hope all those that have a due regard for our constitution and for the rights and prerogatives of the crown without which our constitution cannot be preserved will be against this motion End of section 18